you just saw that talk about who He is and what He's done. We worship Jesus by uh, reading the Scriptures and sitting under the preached words. We can let that preached word grow us up into uh, more of the knowledge of the Son, which is Jesus. We also, uh, every week, worship the Lord by uh, remembering Him through the Lord's Supper, the visible reminder and act of worship of what He did in His person and work on the cross. And we also give. Um, We give in the boxes in the back. We don't pass a plate. So if uh, you consider this your church home, you know that's where we give next week. Just as a reminder, we're rolling into benevolence. I want to remind you guys, the last Sunday of every month is the benevolence offering, so just be prepared for that next Sunday. Um, Just by way of announcement, Mariana and Jim, this is their last uh, Sunday with us. They've been uh, faithfully uh, with us for a a long while, and they're getting married on Friday. And then uh, you guys are, yeah, amen. And... (laughs) And then uh, they're moving down to North Carolina to be where more people are Christians and uh, just try to, you know, there's like 17 churches on every block and it's just really nice down there. So we'll all stay here, suffer for the kingdom, you get on there and uh, enjoy vacation, okay? Uh, anyways, we love them. Uh, we're, we're, we're sad to see them go, but, but just thankful for what God's doing in their life. So. Um, Luke chapter 12, here's what um, we're going to see this morning. You know, you know, Jesus, let me just out of the gate say this, Jesus was the most loving person who ever walked the planet, whoever lived, whoever taught, uh, whoever functioned in any type of human relationship, and this Jesus, who was the most loving person to ever walk the planet, is also the same Jesus is going to give us some pretty harsh words this morning. Um, he, he's going to say some things that might stun you, that might shake you, that might uh, cause you to say, really, is this the Jesus that I knew growing up in the scriptures that would say something like this? But it's driven by love, driven by justice, driven by him wanting to give his father great glory. And so uh, we can trust the things that Jesus says because they're for our joy, right? We always say here that, that God is not a God that's trying to take from you. We aggressively want joy. We're all about pleasure, but it's about finding pleasure in the right place, okay? Misplaced pleasures, misplaced words worship, which is idolatry, right? So we want to get away from idolatry, worship the true God in right place, pleasure, and joy that's only found in Jesus. So he's going to show us where to go with that. And particularly this morning, he's going to be talking about the second coming. Um, And the second coming is not something I don't think we think about a whole lot. I don't think it's something we talk about a whole lot. Um, But I don't know if I've said with the Apostle John more than ever the last couple of weeks than I have in years, come Lord Jesus. I don't know about you. I don't know if that's just been on your lips. Just says, come, Lord Jesus. We we need the second coming, right? Living in a fractured, broken, sin-bent world is is not easy, so we're living in that already-not-yet phase, and uh, Jesus is going to roll out for us what that is like and, and more about that. And here's what he's been doing. He's been basically continuing to lay on us the weight of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. So Luke's gospel is all about what it means to be a part of or not a part of the kingdom of God. That is, entrance into a kingdom that has a king, and you can only enter that kingdom through the ransoming purchase of the king's son. And so uh, we've been seeing that all throughout Luke's gospel, and here as he gets into this already not yet, he's going to show us what this means. Now, what that means for us is the kingdom of God we saw last week has an immediate sense, and it has an eternal sense, right? So there's an immediate aspect where you are his, you're adopted into a new family, your sins are forgiven, you're gifted righteousness, and now you walk as a holy child of God, you grow in your holiness over time, yet it's not fully realized yet. He hasn't established his fullest kingdom when he returns and wipes out sin for good as the good just judge that casts into hell and grafts into heaven. That's not, that's not here yet, but it will be here. So, so how do we operate in this already not yet longing for his second coming, and that's what Jesus is going to get at us with this 
this morning. So let me just say this. You've got a lot of wacky ideas out there when it comes to the second coming, okay? So, so you've got like the, there, there are the preterist view, hyper-preterist, which is basically like we're just living on blank pages. Everything is, has already happened. Jesus already came, right? There's no white throne judgment. There's no resurrection of the dead. There's none of that's happening because it's already in the past. Now, this isn't anything new. If you look at 2 Timothy, Paul, you know, tells Timothy, hey, there are these crazy guys that are teaching the resurrection already happened. But it hasn't happened yet. Then you got kind of the, the middle of the road people where the second coming is more like just second class. Doesn't really matter. Don't really need to think about it. Doesn't affect my life that much. Jesus might be returning, but that doesn't shape how I live at all. And then you've got the other, you know, far right, which we've seen, right? These are the people who just over-dramatize it. They've been given special revelation. They know exactly the date and the hour. Get in their pajamas, get a cup of coffee, go on the rooftop, and no rapture comes, right? So they just keep talking about it, keep talking about it. So what Jesus is going to say, which is biblical and right, and how we need to think is the second coming is coming. You don't know when it'll come. The point is it's coming. Okay, so you don't have the day or the hour, but the point is you got to be ready because it is going to come. It is going to um, capture us and we don't even expect it. And Jesus is going to say here, my second coming is nothing to mess with. It's basically what he's going to say. So let's, let's drop in at verse 35 in chapter 12 as Jesus has been giving us this discourse, right? Started in 12 chapter 1. It's going to continue through 13 chapter or verse like 9. So right in the middle of it, he says this, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Okay, so j- just so we understand, in ancient Near East, slaves and masters was a way of life. So, so your dictation of time is not done by the clock, it's not done by your schedule. People will come and leave sporadically when you least expect it, depending on how wealthy you were with a wedding. Weddings could last hours and hours and days. Some could last shorter. So a master who has servants in the ancient Near East, this is, this is very common. He could go, hey, I'm going to a wedding feast. I'm going to a wedding. I don't know when I'm going to be back, but hey, all I know is be ready when I get back, okay? Do all your duties. Do what you're supposed to do, what you're asked to do. So when I turn that knob to walk through the door, you're there ready to greet me. Okay, so his point is just be ready, and you don't know when I'm going to return. So this is a perfect illustration Jesus uses to talk about his second coming. And he uses this and says that it's like these servants who are at a house. The master leaves, and they're waiting for his return. He says, I don't know when I'm going to be back, because that's how weddings were. And he says, "Why? but I will be back. You hear Jesus say that? You don't know when I'm going to be back, but I will be back. And he says two things, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Now, stay dressed for action, that's just, literally means to gird up your loins. You guys are like, gird up my loins. Okay, let me put this in New Jersey language. That, what they would do is they'd have these long robes they would wear, okay, men and women, and, and when they had to serve, when they had to do like a big party or a big feast, they would like kind of pull up all of their, their garments and they'd take a belt and tie it around their waist to gird up their loins, right? Tie up the loose ends. So Jesus is saying, tie up your loose ends spiritually. It's a metaphor. Like, you should be ready. You shouldn't be tripping over things. You should be focused. You should be alert. You should be watchful. That's why he follows it with, keep your lamps burning. They didn't have, you know, clap on, clap off lights, right? They, when someone knocks on the door, oh, just flip a switch. They didn't have that. They had to keep their lamps burning. Don't be fumbling in the darkness. This isn't a time to, to play games with your life. Keep your lamps on. Stay alert. Wait for your master to come. Gird up your loins. Make sure you're, there's no robes tangling your feet. So when you run to the door, you don't trip and fall, 
It's this honor. It's this you're showing your master glory. You, you respect him. You, you take seriously what he says. Let me just say this is the opposite, in case it's not plain as day in the text. This is the opposite of, of guys who are kicking it back asleep, not even considering the master's return. He gives these two pictures that are extreme opposites of being ready and being not ready at all. But what blows away, me away is verse 37. He's going to further explain what it really means and looks like to be ready. Verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table. And he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. So Jesus continues, okay, so, so now when the master returns, he already told him, hey, I'm going to a wedding feast. I don't know when I'm going to be back, but you better be ready to open that door the second I walk in the room. And he says, hey, those of you who are awake, those of you who are doing what I've asked, those of you who are walking right, living right, functioning right, he goes, hey, it's going to be good for you. You're going to be blessed. He goes, and those of you who don't, it's actually not going to go well for you. And he says, hey, even if I come in the middle of the night at 2 a.m., it's good for you if you're awake, alert, and ready. He's laying this before us, and, and, it, and, and here's what's amazing. The person who is awaiting the second coming, who is so alert, so watchful, and doing the will of the master, it's going to go so good for you that he says he'll dress him for service, have him recline at the table, and come and serve him. You ever read across verses where you're like, well, hold on a second, right? You have to go back to it. I never read that before, right? You have that, that moment. This was one of those moments again. This, this blew me away. Jesus is talking about his future return, and he says, hey, if when I return, you're found ready, you're found pursuing me, you're found clinging to the hope that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're found doing what I've asked you to do. You are joyfully abiding in me and following my commandments. I'm going to put you in the seat, and I'm going to serve you. <laughs> try, try to picture this for a minute. Jesus serving you. I mean, you have that picture in Revelation 19, right? The great marriage feast, right? The wedding supper of the Lamb, where it is the bridegroom actually serving the groom. One of the greatest acts of love Christ demonstrates for his redeemed church is that supper will he'll actually serve us. Listen, I understand in my mind like that I got to serve him and do for him, but, but this and he's going to serve me? Like that's over the top. Like, that's beyond me, right? Are you, are you looking at the text, right? Because this is beautiful. This is talking about reward for following for a body, not salvific, not earning righteousness. This is what it will not cost you but earn you, what you'll gain from being watchful, being ready. This is staggering that Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, will put you in a chair and serve you. Hey, what do you want to drink? What do you want to eat? I don't know, Jesus, I don't really need anything. I'm just kind of in awe that you're serving me, right? I mean, how does that conversation go? <laughs> this is amazing stuff. That this is what the scriptures reveal. It gave me the chills this week to actually think about that, to actually consider that reality. He says, if I come in the second watch, third watch, finds him awake, 
blessed are those servants, right? The, the Roman military set up time on watches, right? So you basically had, um, I think there were like four, uh, six to nine, nine to 12, 12 to three, three to six. And he goes, even if the master has been gone, it's two in the morning and some are asleep. Who are the few that are awake? It's a metaphor. Who are the few that are ready? Who are considering his return, considering the implications of that on their life? They'll be blessed. They'll be happy. It's going to go well for them. I thought this is such a perfect picture in the negative sense of America, right? That the longer Christ tarries, the longer we wait, the more apathetic our hearts grow. Uh, well, I don't really know if he was really serious. It'll probably be about 20,000 more years and not in my lifetime. And so we get apathetic. We don't take Jesus seriously. We don't take the gospel seriously. We, so we just grow in apathy. And Jesus is showing that's a foolish way to live. Because I'm going to come when you least expect it. He could come before I'm done my sermon. Can you imagine? So he gives a serious warning. So he's going to put some weight on this. So we actually think about this and consider this. Verse 39, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming... He would, have had his whole ha- he would have left his whole house to be broken into. Would not have left his whole house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. <laughs> so then he changes this analogy to a thief breaking into a house. So let's just go through this realistically. If you knew that a thief was going to break into your house at one in the morning tonight, what would you be doing? Preparing, right? Getting ready. Turn the sprinklers on to hit him in the face. I mean, you got all these cool ideas. Call the police. Have them ready. You know, you want to ambush him. You would, you would do everything. Make sure your alarm system's working in case you fall asleep on the couch. There'd be a, a, a seriousness to you. There'd be a readiness to you. There, you keep your light on. You keep your lamps burning. You would you'd do everything it costs you. So he's saying, hey, even in that case, this case, it's more serious, more weighty, but you don't know when he's coming. So, so how would you put more aggression in preparing for a thief than me, the Son of God who will come in justice and in mercy to all those, justice and justifier. He will make right all things. It will be weighty. It will be big. It will be supreme. It will be glorious. There will be hell. There will be heaven. I mean, if you're not really taking that seriously, what's happening in your heart? I mean, how is there no preparation in that way? He just, he just gives a simple analogy saying, hey, you'd be so aggressive in this if, if, if you knew this were happening. In the same way, you know this is happening, but you don't know when. So be ready. So be prepared. How do you just not vote verbally, but just in, how, do you, how do you categorize yourself? Girded up, ready for action, lamps burning. When was the last time you thought about the second coming. I mean like legitimately thought that in an instant our lives will forever change. In an instant. When was the last time you even considered that? Or does what categorize you just kicking it back, not even considering the things of God? Church is more of you warming a seat and hearing some truths and thinking it's cute and walking out the door and doing your same routine Monday to Saturday, coming back in. 
warming a seat, looking at some songs, trying to get invigorated and then leave Monday to Saturday doing the same routine? Or is something striking you? Is something shifting in you because of the truth that's laid before you? And, and that's what Jesus is, is getting at here. That your readiness shouldn't dissipate as you grow in Christ. It should increase. Now, at this point, he's basically just making this observation and this truth that he's going to come at an hour you do not expect. So you prepare and you're ready, but you don't have the fixed time. Um, remember, this, this week, this just kept ringing in my head, and I, I thought about this. I think about this a lot, but I had a, a good brother in the Lord who just loved to walk with me when I was in high school and, and taught me the things of God, and, and he was a few years older than me. He was right out of college. He played the cross. We shared that love. His name was Matt, and so he would, he would just teach me the things of the Bible. We'd go out and throw, and he'd be sharing his faith and sharing the things he learned, and one time, time we were at a, a basketball game together, and I remember us sitting at this basketball game just watching this game. He brought his granddad. I remember him always talking about his grandfather. His grandfather was just like a giant in the faith and loved the Lord and modeled his life just after the things of the word. And I remember we're sitting there. It was amazing. We were actually at the game, and I look over at his grandfather, and it looks like he's praying. (laughs) And I'm like, that's weird. This is like an exciting game. Like, it was like one of these regional championship games. Like, man, why why does it look like he's praying? And I I, I lean over to Matt. I'm like, hey, dude, what's your your granddad doing? Why isn't his eyes open? Why isn't he? Is he falling asleep? I mean, this is kind of, he goes, no, he's probably praying. I'm like, praying? I'm in high school. Give me some grace. He, he, like, he, he's praying. So I, I said, well, what's he praying for? He goes, I don't know. Why don't you ask him? I'm, like, I'm not going to ask your granddad what he's praying for. I care about my reputation. I mean, I'm at this game. This game is intense. Like, I just want everybody in my row to be alert and ready and watching the game. And, and so uh, I eventually, because I just had to know, so I lean over, and when he kind of opened his eyes and kind of sat up, and he looked kind of somber, and I, I said, hey, I said, um, can I ask you a question? I said, what were you what were you just doing? Is this not exciting for you? Like, and he said, uh, no, I'm, I just never know when Jesus is going to return. And I was like, Matt, does he know something we don't know? <laughs> and in my high school mind, I'm like, oh my goodness, is he, because I mean, I, you know, those people who you just see love the Lord, you kind of take everything they say, so I'm getting like kind of antsy as I'm sitting there, and he goes, no, I just, I'd rather be at home praying for lost people, and I'd rather be out sharing my faith, and I love the game, and it's great, and it's exciting, but, but man, I mean, if Jesus comes back right now, how's he going to find me? That, that blew my mind. Like, I, I had never even heard someone talk about the second coming. Like, I mean, in high school, like, I mean, I never even heard somebody, I never met anybody who was actually literally living as if the second coming was about to happen. So you bet, the rest of the game, I didn't pay a lick of attention. I was like this, just praying for everybody I could think of, because I'm like, man, if Jesus comes back, I mean, I don't know, pray for them, pray for that guy that's got, I don't even know if he's a Christian, the guy that's scoring all the points. You know, I used to want him killed because he's on the other team, but save him, God, but, but stop him from scoring. I mean, I was, just, I was just praying these prayers, literally in my little high school mind, but that has never left me. This man literally lived as if the second coming were going to come in an hour he never expected. He wanted Jesus to find him faithful. That was amazing to me. Like, that was such a, such a model to me. I'm going, man, this guy is just, that, that's incredible that, that here at this game, he's considering the weightier things in life. He gets verse 39. He's going to come in an hour you don't expect. 
none of us have any clue. Yes, there are signs. Yes, there are things that, that, that God has given us for the ends of the age, but none of us can say this is when. Matthew 24 will say even the angels don't know. What in the world? We don't have time for that. Okay, so, so there's all these things. So at this point, the implications are twofold for this parable. Be ready, and there's danger in not being ready. Right? So naturally, Peter, Peter loves to talk, right? He's a spokesman for the group. So at this point, Peter's feeling some implications. He's, he, self-examination's filling up in his heart, so he decides to ask Jesus, because he always does this. He's the loudmouth. So he makes sure to know, who are you talking to, Jesus? So he says in verse 41, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for everybody? Peter's like, hey, Jesus, okay, this is getting serious. Now, now, are you saying these things for us, like, you know, your, 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 little, your little cohort, the leaders, or everybody? And I love it, like Jesus does. Jesus always answers indirectly. <laughs> so he, he indirectly answers Peter's question with another parable. I love it. Jesus is either endlessly frustrating or endlessly beautiful if you read his life. So he answers with this parable, verse 42. Listen to all this. We're going to read the whole thing. And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, well, my master's delayed in coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come at a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Jesus tells another parable to answer Peter's question. And it's dramatic. And he basically rolls out this parable and says, okay, another master leaves. I'm going to use another master-slave analogy because you guys get this. This is how you live. This is how you work. He goes, hey, the, the master leaves. He leaves his servants in charge. And those, those servants who take care of distributing the food and care for those in their charge, when I come back, if they do that, it's, it's going to go well for them. He goes, but for those who don't, for those who have self-worship and don't care about others, don't care about my will, don't care about giving me respect, giving me glory, it's not going to go well at all. And there's actually three categories for it. One, who blatantly disobeys, I'm going to cut him into pieces and throw him with the unfaithful. He's talking about hell. He's talking about this soul with the unbelievers. Then he, you got the second person who, yeah, they, they knew it, but it was to a less degree, so he just gets a severe beating. And then there are some who, they don't even really know what he asked, but they still didn't do it. They're not off the hook either. They get a light beating. Very simply, you've got two groups of people, those who are ready and those who are not ready, those who are faithful and those who are unfaithful. And here... The first will be blessed, the latter will be punished. 
Jesus is basically answering Peter's question by going, it's self-explanatory. Some of you are in the first group. You're ready now. Some of you are in the latter group, and you should get ready now. Now, just to clarify something, some people think that in this group, the, these three levels, that, it's, that everybody is a believer because it shows they all have the same master. Um, that we, we don't believe that's true because you see a clear separation of faithful and unfaithful. Faithful actually meaning believing, unfaithful meaning not believing. So really what I think this is alluding to is um, everyone at the end of the day, their master is Jesus. Right? What does Philippians 2 say? At the end of all, everyone's going to bow to him. He's everybody's Lord, and not not Lord in the respect sense and in the glorifying sense, but he's everybody's master in that everyone's going to bow to him. Everybody's going to take role from him on the day of judgment. There are some who refuse to do it now and will at the end of all things, and there are some who do it now and will do it at the end of all things. So the faithful servant is the one who's ready for the second coming. How? Well, how is he ready? You can just recap the last four weeks, starting in 12 verse 1, right? You prepare for the second coming by being aware of hypocrisy, right? By being aware of your life, living in the light. I don't want to live in the darkness. I don't want to hide. I realize that I can't hide from God. There's all things are disclosed. All things will be shouted from the rooftops. That drives me to be ready. You also don't fear man anymore. You fear God because he's the one who's returning. And then, hey, you confess Jesus with your lips and your life because he's the one coming. That's how you prepare. You live by examination and by action that you are a Christian. He models all this. Then, hey, you don't set your hope here. You set your hope in heaven. You're rich towards God. You're not rich towards yourself. That's how you're preparing for the second coming. And that's why you're not anxious, because you know he's coming to get you and undo all that went wrong. So, so worry dissipates. Your anxiety's placed on the sovereign God's throne that's going to return and ransom you home in all of his glory. So how do you prepare? You do everything that he's just said. He's saying, hey, now let me motivate you a little bit in reminding you that he's going to come when you don't expect it. In case you think all these things I'm laying out for you are like suggestive or, you know, maybe you should try this, let me just remind you for a second not to live in fantasy but live in reality. Not put your faith in your own ignorance but in the infiniteness of a God who knows. So don't lean into you, lean into him and trust him. This day is coming and he will find you faithful or not faithful. That is mind-blowing. That is, that is weighty. If we really take time to consider this, friends, that this is not some illusion, this is not some idea that, that the risen Jesus Christ will return. And he's coming soon. And, and, and does your life model understanding and knowing that reality? Jesus says, if you've done for him, if you've come to him for the solution for your sin, and you're ready for his second coming, if you're part of the faithful category, you'll be blessed, and he'll put you in charge of his possessions. Another, he's just reiterating last week, fear not, little flock. It's the pleasure of God, your Father, to give you the kingdom. Not just some of it, all of it. 
So when he returns, remember, he gives you all that he owns. Remember, we talked about three weeks ago, you're a joint heir with Christ. Amazing. And he'll not only serve you, he'll put a feast before you. He'll sit you in a chair, and he'll wait on you. (laughs) That's so stupid. (laughs) That's insane. So he gives the faithful encouragement, motivation. Then the unfaithful servant, the one who's not ready for his second coming. He's the one who has no urgency, and he just does what he wants. He just fills his life up with his lusts and loves. He loves worshiping himself. He loves being his own God. He loves playing the role of creator. The unfaithful servant is the one who just wants to live his life. This is the person who says, I'm going to do everything for me, and then right before Jesus comes back, I'm going to fix up my life, get my fire insurance, and get raptured with him. That's one of Satan's biggest lies. I see this, I mean, especially when we did high school and college ministry. So much of this. I want to just flaunt, do what I want, live for my lusts and loves. You know what? Hey, later when I'm 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, hey, then I'll get serious. Then I'll start following Jesus. Then I'll make a real profession of faith that actually, you know, examines my heart and causes me to live a holy life. Okay, then I'll do it. But until now, I'm just going to live what I want. I want to enjoy the world, test it out a little bit, test drive the car. Listen, the Holy Spirit of God is not at your bidding. I, I can't plead with you more than this. I hear this all the time. You think that you kind of direct him and tell him when to woo you and call you and open up your heart. Listen, today might be the only time that you're even open to the truth of the gospel. So so what you want to do is trust in Christ, throw yourself on Christ, and come to him now because he might come tonight when you're sleeping. Like you don't have time. Life isn't a game. Jesus is going, hey, wake up. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's going, hey, wake up from your stupor. I mean, don't, don't buy the lie that you got all this time. You can just kind of do what you want. Just live for your dreams and your wants. No, live now for him because when he comes back, it'll all be worth it. Who cares what you're sacrificing? Look at what you're getting. This is, this is pressure. This is why Jesus says in this text, if you live with disregard of the things of God and the call of the gospel, there will be a day that comes you don't expect and he will cut you up into pieces and throw you with the unbelievers. Some of you are like, I'm not putting that on my coffee mug, right? Some of you are saying, why is he so serious? I mean, why is this so weighty? Why, what? It's interesting because I, I ask this because I hear people say all the time, Jesus was so gentle. He was so loving. He was absolutely. I, told, I said at the beginning, the most loving person who ever walked and lived. But, but read verse 46. When the master comes back, that being Jesus, when he returns and finds people who were not faithful, who did not ask what he did, who were not prepared for the second coming, he will cut them up in pieces and throw them in with unbelievers. That's gentle. Jesus is basically here laying before us as he talks about hell and taking their soul and signing it to a place of unbelievers. It's meant to be a warning. Now listen, 
the people listening to this were fully aware of the Old Testament. You've got parts of the Old Testament where the sons of Ammon actually, in defense of the enemies of God, cut them up into pieces. They were aware of the, the ways that God defended his people. They were aware of the seriousness of God's commands. But Jesus is trying to get across to you the seriousness of this. And here's what I mean. Have you ever, those of you who are parents, have you ever made a warning to your kids that you kind of like just even exaggerate a little bit because you so wanted them to get it? Like, you know, that Jackson just wants to like keep touching the stove and the oven and, and like, well, I don't really take you seriously, Dad. I don't really think I'm going to hurt myself. And you ever been like, man, if you touch that again, your flesh is going to start falling off and like you're going to see all your fingers and your bones and you know what I mean? Okay, just me, just my parenting. That's my parenting style. But th- this, is, this, is what, this is what he's doing. He's basically welling up in you, hey, do you not take this seriously? This is serious stuff. I will cut you up into pieces and throw you with the unbelievers. I'll give you a body that's fit for eternal torment. I mean, this is staggering. He's trying in his mercy, he's trying in his grace to say life isn't a game. Life is eternal. Life is not just temporary. Life is not found in, if we can borrow the language of two weeks ago, found in the abundance of one's possessions. That's not life. Life is living for him, serving him, doing for him, being ready for him. That's life. That's fullness of life. He's freeing you from you. He's freeing you to live on mission, live in the abundance of what he's already given you in the immediate and the eternal. So he's saying, man, don't mess around with this. Don't play around with this. Man, let's get serious about this. That's what he's doing here. That's what he's laying before us here. So we don't leave and say, okay, cool. I heard another sermon about the second coming. Now I'm going to go about my Monday to Saturday. Yeah, I know I came in. I heard some truths, but... Okay, now I'm going to do what I really need to do throughout the week. He's saying, no, how is your life adjusting? How are you, how's your mentality? How's your marriage? How's your home life? How are your decisions? What's, what's happening in you that is shaping you and preparing you for the second coming? It's been hitting me really hard this week. Because Jesus is saying when he returns in judgment, it'll be most severe for those who keep hearing the truth of the gospel and reject it. It'll be worse for them. And the reason it's been hitting me so hard this week is, is, is I, know the, I know the common language of, man, okay, I know God sent Jesus to die for my sins. I know he's my champion. I know he gives me his righteousness. I know he, I know he forgives me. I know he's put me in a new family. I know that I have eternity waiting. I, I know all those things. I know he's my father. I know that he's my ransomer. I know he's supposed to be my king. I know I'm supposed to commit my life to him. I know, according to Luke 9, I'm supposed to die to myself, pick up my cross, and follow him. I know all those things, but just not, not yet. That can wait. And I'm saying it can't. I'm saying it can't wait. Because the ramifications, according to Jesus, are it's eternal in ramifications. Like, are you hearing me? Like, like what you do with that truth is the ramifications are eternal. Like, it's just, it's mind-boggling to me. I did, I did a thing when I was um, in high school. We all went out, and we were, like, you know, sharing the gospel and, and asking questions. And I decided I was just going to ask one question and keep asking it. And the question I kept asking people was, um, you know, just, you know, based upon your life, based upon all that you know in the Scripture, and I wanted to ask Christians, 
do you think that, that you're going to heaven or you're going to hell, right? Classic question, right? And, and you know what most people's answer was? Mm, yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We're talking about heaven and hell. And you're, yeah, mm, I think so. I'm going, hold on. We're talking about eternal ramifications, right? We're talking about eternal punishment, torment, separation from God. I mean, hell, hell, fire, hurt, pain, eternally separated from loved ones, having a conscious understanding of that. And you're also talking about eternal glory with the maker of the universe and eternal bliss. You're going to bank that on a, mm, I think so. I mean, eternity, eternity, I'm, I'm going, I mean, this is, this is how apathetic, this is how wishy-washy we are. We're like, man, yeah, I don't know, I don't really care. We're kind of that middle class, second coming, second class. I don't know that I really need to worry about it. Jesus is saying it's not something to mess with. So if you're his, absolutely anticipation and waiting and longing. And yes, I understand the, the longing to, to see people come to know Jesus who don't. We have family in our family that does not know Jesus, and that rips me apart. I, praying, God, would you, would you hold off until they come to a saving knowledge of your son? Would you open their eyes? So I know there's a, a back and forth here, but at the end of the day, we long, we plead, we anticipate because we, it's in our wiring you're a new nature. You have the Holy Spirit of God, and that causes you to want that. That causes you to live faithfully. We learned a couple weeks ago that the Holy Spirit of God is what keeps your profession of faith to the end. That don't worry, he'll sustain you. Don't worry, he'll give you the words to speak in dark moments of the soul. Don't worry. The Holy Spirit will carry you. At the same time, Jesus is saying, hey, but don't be ignorant. Look at your life. Examine your heart. The grace in the gospel protects us from passivity, friends. It actually fuels you to do. You don't do because you need or you're trying to obtain. You do because it's who you are. Right? The true gospel is resting in your acceptance in Christ, which leads you to outflow of actions based upon that. So it's not, I'm going to do so I can become. It's because I am. Let me do. So if you've trusted in Jesus, the most loving thing I could ever say to you as your pastor is not, great, you're fine. The most loving thing I could say is, keep going. Man, keep fighting your sin. Keep running to Jesus. Keep seeing his gospel. Keep enjoying his holiness. Keep diving and leaning into community. Keep gathering with the saints, man. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep pressing forward. Keep plotting. Keep pushing. That's the best thing I could say. The worst thing I could say, which most of us believe is, hey, put in an idle pilot. Now cruise till you're in glory. That's not in the Bible. There's nowhere in the scriptures you're going to see, hey, I make a profession of faith, now I just put in cruise control, do what I want, live for my life, and then I'm going to see Jesus. Oh, I know you. Oh, thanks for being ready for my coming. Thanks for coming to the door to let me in. No, there was nothing in you that wanted that. This is, this is so, I, I shed tears this week praying over some of you by name because I really don't know where you stand. And I don't know the inner workings of your heart, and I can't know those things, and I'm not called to know those things. But I am called to warn and love and say, be ready. Because that's what Jesus does. Be ready. What's the point? 
The point, friends, is that truth is beautifully dangerous. It's beautiful, and it's dangerous, because when you know it, there's an accountability now put upon you to either reject or respond, right? Better to have never known than to know and reject. That's why Jesus gives those three categories. You either reject straight up and are hostile, you either know it and apathetically reject, or you really have no understanding of it all and you still reject it, regardless of whether you reject Jesus in your hostility and straight up anger, or you reject him in your indifference, you're still gonna be found lacking on the day of judgment. It doesn't matter which category. We saw this back in chapter 10 with the woes, right? Jesus basically said, some will have a hotter hell in judgment, not because necessarily the degree of your sin, it's the degree of one's rejection of it. It's the degree of one's rejection of the truth. The accountability. So, so here's how this rolls into this morning. It's high-risk behavior for you to continue showing up week after week, week after week, and doing nothing with the truth that you hear. <laughs> The more knowledge you've been given, the more will be required, he says. The more knowledge you've been given, the more you will be required of you. So let me just roll through three things. How do you get ready? How do you get ready for the second coming? Number one, you come to Christ. <laughs> That's the first and primary way. Man, you come to him. You trust in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sin. You lean into him for the righteousness necessary to be made right with a holy God. You circle back to Luke 9. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. For if he wants to find life, let him lose it and forfeit his life here. Because what merit, what goodness does it give a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? So you come to Jesus, you come to the one who's coming back, you come to the one who holds the remedy for your deepest need of your sin and who makes you secure until his return and then you walk and you live. That's, a, that's the first thing. It's a call to salvation. Number two, it's a call of stewardship, right? So, so we've all been stewarded with time, stewarded with gifts, stewarded with wiring, stewarded with talent, stewarded with treasure. So how do you use your money? How do you use your time? How do you use your job? How do you use your house? How do you use everything God's given you in preparation for the return of Jesus? I, I love it. I was talking to a, an older woman here that's a member of our church uh, recently, and, and she was saying, Mike, I just, I don't know how. I don't know how I couldn't take all that God's taught me in all the years I've been alive to not dump that into, disciple that into women who are younger than me, just entering into marriage being a Titus II woman. That, that's beautiful. That's it. Like she's stewarding her time, preparing for the second coming, understanding. Why would I not do that? How do you see your job in light of the second coming? How are you stewarding your time there? The neighborhood, I say this over and over, the neighborhood God's place, you don't need to go looking for people. You live next door. How are you stewarding that time in light of the second coming of Jesus? Guys, I know this is not easy. I know that we struggle with fear of man and the things that rise up, and that's why we have to keep remembering Jesus' words to us beforehand that says, hey, don't fear man, fear God. He can cast into hell. Man, what's the worst thing man can do to you? Worst thing they can do is kill you. And so he shows us that we are good stewards. Some of you guys have been given much knowledge of the scriptures, much wisdom, and 
Some of you guys just brag that you know. You're a terrible steward. It should cause a humility in you that causes you to want to teach others also, to impart that wisdom, impart those truths, not to just store it up and look arrogant and prideful and, oh, okay, let's, let's leak that out onto people. Be a good steward of what God has given you. And, and lastly, number three, it's a call to personal holiness. This is what the second coming does. If you look at 2 Peter 3, he talks about, man, them gazing and looking and waiting. They're, they're doing it because, and because they're looking and waiting, it causes them to live a holy life, sober-minded, self-controlled, because how is God going to find me? It's like Matt Wells' grandfather. Man, how is God going to find me in this moment? That's incredible. I mean, think about it. Next time you are tempted with a, a gross out, just this, this sin that enslaves you, whether it's visually, whether it's internally, man, Jesus could come back in this moment, and how does that shape my, my conviction and my repentance and my walking and treating this per- person and treating this person and shepherding the flock and shepherding others, and how does, that, how does that shape that? How does that work itself out? Guys, we need help with this. I know. There's, there's a, we, we're going to walk in this. We're going to strive in this. There's going to be stumblings and fallings, but let's, let our trajectory be north as we walk together in this. Because when one is made new in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the the law of God no longer terrifies, it tastes sweet. You love his commands now. (laughs) I've said this before, you just go through the whole 10 commandments, right? Have no other gods before me. Why would I? I mean, I have a God who appeased himself through a sacrifice of himself for me. Why, why? Don't, don't curse his name. Don't be trite about him. Of course, why would I do that when he's rescued and redeemed me? The commands taste sweet to you. David says they're like honey on his lips. Let's ask God for help in this. Because he, here's, here's the thing. When Jesus returns, he returns as justifier and he returns as judge. And here's why that matters. There are many of us in this room, many people that think because they show up on Sunday, they're faithful servants. What you need to ask yourself is, is there a repentance in my heart that is bearing fruit? Is there a desire? Is there inclination? Is there wanting for Jesus? And if there isn't, come to Christ. And if there is, let's be a good steward and let's practice the call to holiness. Let's ask him for help. God, we need you. We need eyes and a mind that understands and beats and thinks in regards to truth, that you are coming back, that you are returning. The second coming is not something to mess with. It's something to see and prepare for. God, would you save more? Would you rescue more in your church, not just here, but in your church in the States, your church abroad, your church in the nations? Would you continue redeeming and rescuing many to yourself to prepare them for when the bridegroom returns for his bride? God, would you prepare us? I pray for those this morning who are not ready, who are living in apathy, who are living in in the lusts and loves of what they want. There is no repentance. There is no turning towards Jesus. Would you save them? Would you correct that? Would you bring them to you, remind them that you're not a God who threatens with hell. You're a God who gives generously and says, look at what you can have in my son. For a Christian is not to be afraid of hell, but to be stirred by the glory that is the son of God, Jesus Christ, and to want him. So God, would you cause us to want you? 
God, those of us who are faithful, who we, we do anticipate the second coming, we, do our, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, we have been given adoption as your sons and daughters, God, would you give us greater drive in our stewardship and in our call to holy life? Would you help us in that way? As we observe the Lord's Supper, help us to remember this call. Help us to take seriously this call. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.